We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, February 25th. I'm your host, John McCagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are coming to you both visually and audioly. Is that a word? No, it is not. Audibly. So, audibly, yeah. So, we're off to a hot start here. But, yes, uh, podcasts being the visual medium that they are, we're, we're in. We're in the frontier, brother. So, it's good to see your face. <laughs> yeah, you too. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good to see you for breaking this isolation that I've that I've had. But um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I I don't want people to to see all this the stupid you know facial expressions that I make when I'm thinking of the bad ideas that I say and things like that. It's like I, I think I come across better uh, despite despite having a voice. How does it go? I have a face for you no. Know, I, I don't have the voice for radio, whatever the opposite of that is, but then like I also look stupid uh, in the visual format, so it's just I'd rather just kind of risk have you podcast visually and audio wise and then I just kind of like send a transcript that you can read. That would be better. <laughs> or dubbed over. Um, yeah. You know, I'll see what the budget looks like to see if we can both get the Scanner Darkly suits. The um, Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So what, get those all mixed up around and we can look like <laughs> mid-2000s Keanu and, and Robert Downey Jr. Um, that Absolutely. sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot going on. It, it is the end of February. We're we're not quite to the league new year just yet, but that doesn't mean that we're short on drama by any means. Uh, so kind of a, a bombshell was dropped this morning coming from uh, The Athletic. Uh, a couple of their writers, Michael Sean Duggar, Mike Sando, and Jason Jenks, uh, kind of combined forces to – those are the, the plugged-in Seattle uh, reporters, of course um, – just to talk about the rift that is growing uh, with Russell Wilson and, and his camp 
and the Seattle Seahawks. This is something that, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, what, doing radio hits or, or whatever, you get asked about it, and it's like, you know, are you buying this? I'm like, no, I, I think, like, the biggest quarterback that's going to get moved this offseason is probably Deshaun Watson, but I think this Russ thing, I think he's just kind of planting his flag, kind of flexing his muscle a little bit within the organization and just kind of say, stating his demands, but I don't think that he's going anywhere, and I, I don't think that any team could really pony up the uh, requisite resources to go ahead and acquire uh, Russell Wilson for what the, the Seahawks w- would really want for him. So I, I haven't really thought that this was going to be a thing. And clearly I was off uh, because it, it looks like this, there's more than, than just uh, you know some smoke here. There, there might be some actual fire when it comes to uh, Russ and the Seahawks. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a question of, like, is is this Russell Wilson being fully permanently alienated from the team? Or is this Russell Wilson sort of playing his position and testing the market uh, for, for t- test, t- testing the market for like what he could kind of get away with for what his position is? And I don't I don't say get away with like in any negative tone because it's i think it's cool that the players and and quarterbacks like him are are using their position to leverage their worth to the team to make the team kind of like respect them in ways that they otherwise wouldn't it's like it's it's not like uh the russell wilson throw it 50 times a game thing would have fixed whatever could have gone better for the team past few years their second half collapse in 2020 kind of showed that they needed a balanced offense they needed to run the ball things like that uh, we're we're not like the only thing wrong with the team, and, and Wilson is not quite infallible as a quarterback. Like to me, he's like quarterback five, six, something like that. Uh, but he's still a really good player, and the team should have done a better job of heeding his insights. And it sounds like they basically just kind of did whatever they wanted, didn't really include his thoughts in the process, and that's disrespectful and it's bad business if you're the Seahawks because it's like they assumed he didn't need to be listened to because he couldn't do anything about it. And now here he is seeing what he can do about it. And, you know, in hindsight, I bet they wish they had just given him more of a platform within the team. Yeah. This is just such a a strange development because like you said, like you alluded to the, the let Russ cook, uh, opening stanza to the season where he's out there chucking it 40, 50 times a game. That that season opener in Atlanta where he throws, what, four touchdowns, just totally lights up the Falcons, and, you know, that continues. Like, it, it almost felt like he was the stone-cold lock to be the MVP all the way through the first six, seven weeks of the season. Uh, things fell apart a little bit. Uh, the athletic article kind of points to that game in Buffalo a, as a bit of a turning point where he had a bunch of turnovers, some sacks, that sort of thing. And uh, so, and from there, and you know, to my detriment in, in uh, the, the RotoWire Stake League, I, I just continued to believe that they're gonna they're gonna click back eventually. Well, you they, could they, bench them. Yeah, know? exactly. That was, that, was a, that was a weird, very weird season because you look at the season end of numbers of this uh, 2020 season for Wilson, and you think, wow, he's he must have been insanely good that year. Nothing could have gone wrong. Look how much better these numbers are than the prior years, and yet, uh, like you said, pretty much all of it happened in the first seven or eight weeks or whatever. And I think it's I think there's a possibility for like a middle range between you know the the heights of week one and the the falling off in week two and i think they can get kind of the big year-end numbers more evenly applied uh with a few tweaks of personnel and you know their, their approach otherwise but yeah it was it was a weird situation politically from that point because it's like i I, I bet there are things Wilson could have thought of that would have helped Carroll make it work better. Things that aren't as simple as we just got to run more. And yet, you know, there's a little bit to it. They got to run more if they want to get the specific looks that they used to get from defenses when they did run all the time. Um, but it's not as simple as, you know, that stuff where they're like, if you run 25 times in a game, you win 80% of the time. So just run it 25 times. Like that stuff's ridiculous too. Yeah. Um, so I think they could negotiate like a reasonable outcome. And I guess since I don't think they need much change to get where Wilson wants to be. I too would be surprised if he's moved, but I don't know if, if like we've seen with Deshaun Watson that some players just have a line. You can't cross the red line with them. And if, if you do, they are principled such that they will just never cooperate with you again. And I'm, I'd be surprised if Wilson is that guy. I, I think Deshaun has shown that he is that guy. Um, I don't think the stakes are as serious with Wilson, both because like I don't think he, I think I think he's dropping this, he's leaking this info to the press to kind of 
pressure Carroll into listening to him. I don't think he's pressuring him into getting off the team because why would he want to leave a team where he's so close to having it exactly the way he wants it, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, like what the Jets are, you know, kind of the team and and we'll get to them in a minute as a team with potentially the ammo to 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 make it work there, but like you said, like Seattle is, you know, a play a playoff team, they're established. You have DK Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett. Um, you know that you're really not that far away from from again being a, a legitimate contender in the NFC, whereas you'd be on, on a bit of a re- reclamation project there in, in New York if you ended up going to the Jets. So um, it does feel like like you were saying there is a something to be said for Russ wanting to be listened to by Pete Carroll and the Brain Trust. It sounded like at certain points during the season he would come to them with with you know tweaks potentially to, to install into the offense and was basically just kind of uh, pushed aside. So like you said, maybe this this is him coming back to the bargaining table with a little bit more like public pressure being put on the organization that way to, to eventually get what he wants because, you know, th- it is true that Seattle has one of the lowest uh, – investments in their offensive line of basically any team in the NFL, either draft capital or salary-wise. So, I mean, it's not a particularly great situation, not a particularly great offensive line that he's playing behind. Uh, And then, like you said, once they get dogmatic about running it X number of times a game and, and that being a formula without really thinking about what needs to go into that for it to work, it's all it's all kind of a little bit messy there. So I think Seattle does need to really listen up because if you screw this up, especially when Russ was kind of a gift from the heavens to you to begin with. I mean, if yeah. you, if you're drafting at a time like like now, if Russell basically they they got Russell Wilson in the third round because guys like or NFL brain trust love really tall quarterbacks especially in the earlier part of this decade and and you know all the way further back that's why like guys like Brock Osweiler Paxton Lynch uh, these sort of guys get pushed up really really high up draft boards and guys like Drew Brees like Russell Wilson fell further and further in draft so the Seattle is is lucky that they've even have this guy in the first place they need to do whatever it takes to keep him happy in my opinion yeah and again since they did so well in those first eight weeks they are not as bad as those last eight weeks might have looked. It's like if, if if they could keep a little more perspective about it all, they basically were two good games difference from thinking everything was rosy. So, yeah, I think I think that uh, Pete Carroll um, ha- has kind of screwed it up to this point, and Russell Wilson is pretty much justified in, in reacting the way he has, especially after Pete Carroll threw Brian Schottenheimer away as the scapegoat. It's like... All right, you were telling me you can't listen to my ideas for the past few years because you got to do what you and Brian were thinking of. Then you fire Brian and say it's all his fault. It's like, how how about you just listen to me from the start? And we could have skipped all this. You know, Brian never needed to get fired. He could have just implemented my ideas to what you were already doing. And um, when that's the gap, I just think it's too short of a gap to justify a total upheaval. Whereas with the Houston case, it's like. Jack Easterby is a total psychopath and a megalomaniac freak who cannot be reformed and has only ill intentions and will do anything underhanded to any extent to get what he wants. That's a person you cannot work with. And so it makes sense for Deshaun to take his position the way he has. Yeah, I finally heard the Easterby stand up. Um... Oh, my God, dude. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Folks, if you want to hear a really good uh, New York accent, uh, yeah, check check that out for sure. Um, again, spe- but uh, rounding this out a little bit, um, and, and speaking of New York, what one potential trade package, I, I forget who to attribute this one to exactly, so forgive me there, but um, one, you know, again, I, I still feel like this is pie in the sky, but a package I saw would, would have been Quinn and Williams, both the Jets' first rounders this year and a first rounder next year would get Russell Wilson. What say you? I think that would probably do it. I mean, he's he's a bit older than Deshaun, and he's um, I don't know. It's 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 I don't know what to make of the whole market as it is, though. You know, it's like I I, I think that should be enough. I can imagine Seattle still saying like, oh, we want more than that. But it's hard for me to imagine them getting more than that in yeah. a market where everybody who is available is the way they are or, you know, could be available. It's like it's not just the the Deshaun and, and the Russell Wilson part. It's like we don't know how the Sam Darnold domino is going to fall. We don't know what 
that might knock over in response. It's like if if Jimmy Garoppolo were cut and San Francisco traded for Sam Darnold, it's like that would be a, a big shakeup too. And so I don't know. Like I don't know if how if there's any teams that are kind of waiting on this or that to fall, and I don't know if they view the the rare uh, number of alternatives in this off season as a reason to lower their offers like they should. Uh, but I'm almost wondering if we're going to reach this point, like we almost did with Carson Wentz and the, the Eagles, but like we're reaching this point where we have this sort of like critical mass of quarterbacks who are alienated from their teams and are signed to these contracts with these cap penalties that basically can't be withstood by the teams that need to move them because they refuse to play for them or they, you know, they might not want to play for them now they're alienated from. Them. And it's like, there's no market. There's no team that has the number of assets that they're looking to, to, to receive, to justify uh, eating those cap penalties. So what we basically run into is a scenario where things gridlock and then the teams demand a bailout or something or like cap forgiveness or something like that, because it's like they're sitting around saying, we're not going to play our best player. The the player that's marketable to the NFL, not just us, you know, thinking of Deshaun Watson, especially. And there's, they're just saying like, we can't trade him because no one offered us enough. It's like what you get off. What is enough is what is available in your case because you burned the bridge, you know? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Jack Easterby is trying to take some tough guy stands like, well, we're just going to not trade him and fine him. And, it's like that's that's something that the league has never seen before, and I'm not convinced that they let it go that way, you know. But like, it's it's a factor. As long as Deshaun is not traded, then the Russell Wilson demands can only go so high. And uh, to me, the three first rounders in Quinn and Williams sounds like probably the best case scenario, really. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, that that would that would get it done. Obviously, the Jets ha- have have that ammo so it'll be interesting to see the the direction in which uh, they go with it whether they go out and are able to acquire a guy like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or eh, I don't know what else I I don't really see Sam Darnold being back there and and then building around him especially with the new coaching staff in place I don't think Darnold's toast but I I would like to see him go somewhere else and and kind of just get a fresh start yes yes that would be ideal uh let's move on over to the other quarterback news uh from this week so when we talked last it sounded like things were getting pretty icy between uh ben roethlisberger and and pittsburgh it seemed like the pittsburgh brass was kind of playing hardball publicly uh with, with roethlisberger a little bit obviously he's he's carrying a pretty expensive number this year nothing crazy crazy but still 19 million especially for what current state Ben Roethlisberger is that's not something that uh, is particularly palatable especially for a team like the Steelers it needs to cut a little bit of cap but sounds like Roethlisberger and the Roonies uh, met earlier this week and it seems like Roethlisberger will be back with the Steelers this year albeit most likely with a uh, reduced salary, some sort of pay cut uh, is probably in the works there. But uh, what's your reaction there with with, with, uh, Pittsburgh trying one more time with Roethlisberger, especially given how we saw uh, the last season end? Yeah, maybe they don't really have a better option than this. Like, I assume they're I assume they're smart enough to know that it's not a good situation having Ben Roethlisberger as your starting quarterback. And maybe to them it was just the best option in a limited line of choices. So I don't know what their perspective on the whole thing is, but if if they have high hopes, I would would let that go if I were them because I don't know what exactly went wrong with Roethlisberger last year, but it went completely – to me it looked irreparably like just botched. Like I don't know what you can do to fix a quarterback who looked that way. And in a way, it's I don't know whether this is good or bad or I could just be wrong about the whole thing. But he was so bad and and so just conclusively useless that I almost wonder if it fully was the elbow that could be explained. Because I, I, if, if he had just been uh, if he if he was out there and he was he was just kind of like having these dead ducks coming out, you know, like if, if he was just showing no velocity at all. Um, I, th- I think that would have been obvious enough. Like we would have been, oh yeah, his elbow is completely toast. But he, he, don't get me wrong, he didn't put good velocity or anything. That was definitely part of the problem. But the problem to me almost looked more like he couldn't move as fast as he needed to 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 get the ball where he knew it needed to go, or at, at the point of a play where he basically needed to make a decision. It was so early in the play relative to in the past because I don't know if it's like the feet are slower. Uh, you know, the shoulder and elbow are slower. Yeah, the I elbow think he just is weaker. He doesn't want to get hit anymore. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what it is, but like he, he seemed just completely wrong. And 
maybe the elbow gets a little better with an extra year. Maybe he kind of learns how to play within himself again and kind of like devises an adjustment to this, to this new status quo. But he, he was struggling to complete more than like 65% of his passes while averaging less than 6.5 yards per attempt. And in the modern NFL post illegal contact rules, you know, not just people forget they implemented those illegal contact rules with a heightened emphasis after the 2000 Super Bowl when Otis Smith was mugging Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt all game. That was the first time. And then a few years ago, they were like, we got to emphasize it even more now. And so with those two rule changes, Numbers like Roethlisberger had last year are truly abominable. Like you can't really do much worse than he did. Anytime you do half as bad as he did, you usually get benched and Steelers instead are going into another year with him. So I think it bodes poorly for them, but I don't know what their like multi-year plan is for all I know. They're like, yeah, to hell with it. Let's kind of just tank. Let's, let's let Roethlisberger just wear out his contract and we'll regroup in a year. Like maybe that's how they see it. Uh, if they see it that way, that's reasonable. But if they think they're going to compete with Roethlisberger, I, I think that's uh, that's that's a long shot at the very least. Yeah, like uh, I know that they, they won the division th- this past year, but I don't really see I, – I think that they're the third best team in the division. I think they're the – yeah, they're, they're the third. And if, if there were like a real franchise other than the Bengals, they would be at risk of being the worst in the division, even with that insanely good defense. Yeah, so it's, it's – uh... I, I think like like you were saying it, in terms of like give, giving the Steelers some uh, some benefit of the doubt, this could just be a one year. I think we're looking at maybe six and ten, seven and nine if they if they run this back the same way and, and things look the same because I just don't think that Roethlisberger really has it anymore. Uh, somebody had a great tweet during the season that Roethlisberger plays like your uncle that just finished off his second Thanksgiving plate and the, the kids finally <laughs> beg him to like go outside and throw a few passes, like just kind of getting rid of it and then just like going back inside. And uh, that's kind of how I view it as well. I completely agreed with it, with that sentiment. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this Steelers offense is weird. And then I, I think that there's just like some fantasy fallout that, that goes alongside of it. Uh, I'm kind of teeing you up here, but when you when you're talking about just like investing in this Steelers offense, they have talented receivers. They have Chase Claypool. I know Juju Smith-Schuster is is hitting free agency potentially. That they, they have Deontay Johnson, but it, with current state Roethlisberger, I mean, does that kind of steer you away from from these guys in drafts? Yeah, um, I, there's value in in all those guys that you named. Uh, if Juju's back. You know, he's not going to just disappear or something. He's, I think, the best of those three receivers, actually. But last year he had the most thankless task of the three, and certainly in terms of fantasy football, the most thankless task. Because he, he was largely getting beat up the way he did because he was doing um, – I don't know if this is this is like some new paradigm that's occurring, but the way that the, the Rams use Cooper Cup and the way that the Chiefs have been using Sammy Watkins is kind of a lot like they were using Juju in Pittsburgh where they're playing receiver, but they sure seem to be doing a lot of things that tight ends used to do where they're uh, not not just in the sense of like where they're running, although that that certainly applies. But it's like they're they're putting them in to, to block these like defensive ends and stuff like that and do these 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 edge setting blocks. Uh, which it wears on you and it means that you're on a part of the formation most of the time where it's not as specifically designed to throw it to you as it is the guy who is not involved in any sort of run blocking design. So that's Deontay on the outside. And so you got this thing where it's like Juju's better. I think it's safe to say that Juju Smith-Schuster is better than Deontay Johnson. I know people can't distinguish PPR points or even target volume from, from real life anything at all. But He's he's in the part of the field where Roethlisberger struggles most to throw it. Uh, he, it might be harder at this point for Roethlisberger to throw in the middle of the field than the downfield part of the field. See, yeah, because downfield you can wind up a little bit. Like it, where Juju's running, yeah. like you need tight window. Throws. Yeah, and you need you need to make a decision quickly, and you need to move the ball quickly. And he, even if he's making the decision correctly, which I think Roethlisberger is, it's like Roethlisberger still knows what's going on. He's just helpless to do anything about it. But 
basically it's like between his windup, between his heavy feet, between the drag on the elbow. I don't know, but what whatever the combination of factors is, it's like he kept doing this thing where he would get the snap and he would he would decide I need to get rid of the ball. He he concluded at this point in a play over and over. If I don't start winding up, if I don't start getting my feet ready and winding up and throwing the ball, I'm gonna get clobbered while I'm throwing it, and that's no good. And the only option that he had at that point in the play was to just throw it over to Deontay Johnson in single coverage and hope it worked. So I don't even blame Deontay Johnson for his low uh, catch rate, his low yards per target, because so many of those throws were just helpless. You know, just they were throwaways borderline, and he had to make a lot of plays that just aren't fair to expect of him. Um, but the point is that also means that his target volume is not signal. It's it's noisy. And if those throws that he's getting are categorically non-viable, then we may as well lower his effective target count. And you see the price for Deontay Johnson very much assumes growth. Like people are – his price right now assumes that Juju Smith-Schuster will walk and that basically Ben Roethlisberger will get better and that the target volume will either stay the same or get higher, all of which sound like long shots to me. So I don't have any interest in bidding for those prices. No, there's always going to be someone else in the room that, that likes Deontay Johnson – a little bit more. Uh, let's jump on over. Um, last time we talked, it was the day before Carson Wentz uh, was dealt to Indianapolis, of course. Uh, it sounds like we're off to a great start in Indianapolis with Michael Pittman just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna keep 11. I'm 11. Um, so, yeah. And Wentz like, oh, that's that's cool. I was totally going to change numbers anyway. Um, so <laughs> that, that's a whole thing. But um, other than that, I mean, you know, this is something that, that we've talked about, but uh, backstage and, and whatnot. But uh, and, and we'll use this as a jumping off point because you, you're taking uh, part in an FFPC uh, best ball draft. That's a super flex. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the format, super flex and then tight end premium scoring yep. as well. So that, of course, with Carson Wentz officially being out of Philadelphia, we we correctly kind of just assume that Jalen Hurts' ADP would go nuts. So g- give us <laughs> yeah. the uh, give us the latest on on what's going on with that and are we buying it? Right. So in that league it's FFPC it's it's one and a half points PPR for tight ends. That's the uh, the premium twist at the position. Uh, this is this is a league where there's of course a lot of inflation at quarterback and a lot of inflation at tight end and almost as importantly it starts two receivers instead of three so it's two running backs two receivers and between the two receivers and then those the the details with the quarterbacks and tight ends you get intense deflation at wide receiver or at least quite a bit more that that you haven't that you don't see in other formats really um so the tight ends went quick the quarterbacks went quick and jalen hurts i think went way too early uh even even with the news that carson wentz was traded even with uh, the super flex detail Jalen Hurts went in the second round of this draft uh, the fourth to last pick in the second round in between Ryan Tannehill who went the pick earlier and Tom Brady who went the next pick Joe Burrow went uh, seven picks later and the then team looks like yep so um, I get it I get chasing the upside of Jalen Hurts and if if someone is expressly buying him paying the price that it takes just to get that upside then I can't really argue with that person because the upside is there. I don't think anyone should really debate that. Like I, I, th- I think that Jalen hurts it, it, at least for a one year window. It's like he, he could, he could have, I don't know, like a top five sort of quarterback outcome just from the rushing production that he's capable of. Uh, not that he's a bad quarterback, or not a bad passer, but it's just, he's not very accurate and there's only so much you can do about that. And it's not like he has a cannon arm either. So the, the safeties are, are free to come up at the line of scrimmage a little bit. And he's he was a great runner in those four games last year, but we don't really know how that's going to negotiate with the defense. Like they is, is he going to be as good of a runner if they pull the safeties up? Like did they pull the safeties up last year or were they kind of like, we got to stay back uh, to do containment on this guy. And maybe if the safeties come up, that clogs the field and he can't read the defense anymore. We don't really know how all that stuff's going to go. So is if, if someone's chasing the upside, again, I can't really say anything against it, but if they are misunderstanding the floor, then that could be a pick that they really regret. Because if, if you're assuming really anything at all with Hertz, you're 
probably just wrong. You're probably missing something because the Eagles could absolutely still take a quarterback at that sixth pick. They could trade up to take a quarterback for all we know. There's there's not a particular reason why they need to be committed to Hurts. And I say that as someone who's probably a little higher than on Hurts than most people. Like I believe there's a way you can you can leverage that running ability to get a defense to 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 kind of be shorthanded against the pass and, and thus kind of cover for Hertz's limitations accuracy wise. But that's a lot of ifs. And I hate Tom Brady, but I'm not taking Hertz ahead of Tom Brady and Superflex. Uh, and I'm definitely not taking Hertz ahead of Trevor Lawrence, who I took in the third round. Uh, but yeah, that that's a lot for Hertz, I think. And um, it's one of those things like if, if the people who are paying the price understand that they're basically buying a coin flip, you know, for a million dollars and it's like, if, if you get the wrong side, you get nothing like that person, I guess, has realistic expectations. But if, if people are assuming so much as Hertz is definitely the starter, they're wrong to do that. OK, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I, I think I would be like you said, you can't rule out the possibility of Philadelphia if they fall in love with one of these quarterbacks uh, from the sixth spot or even being able to move up a little bit to, to secure that their specific guy. Then, you know, like you said, like the, this Jalen Hurts investment in the second round just, you know, is, is dust right away. I imagine that just by virtue of him be, uh, playing on a uh, day two contract, this is a, a with the new coaching staff, this is a great opportunity for Philadelphia, I think, to really kick the tires, see what they have in him. I mean, I thought he showed enough down the stretch last year to where Philadelphia, it would be smart of them, in my opinion, to, to at least try it, try it for a year with, with them. I mean, they're, they're going to have such low expectations for this season. Just go ahead and, and see if you if you may have stumbled into your guy in Jalen Hurts, especially after giving away uh, Carson Wentz like this. So, I assume they, I assume at the very least that he will be the starter, but at the same time, like you said, there are things where teams can catch up to him and, and you know maybe negate some of the advantages that he had down the stretch last year. Yeah, I, I would also, to be clear, guess that he is the starter in Philadelphia. It's just one of those things that, like the price is assuming he definitely is, you uh -huh. know, and it's it's like that's a little bit much, and that uh, he's going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I wish him the best. I hope he does well. And I agree that if I was Philadelphia in their particular position with their cap hell that they're in, it, it, to me, that means it doesn't make sense to trade up for a quarterback. Cause like, why do you want to put, uh, even if it's a really good quarterback, uh, why do you want to put him on a rookie contract where you can't spend at the positions that you need to, to make him have enough support to win a Super Bowl? So it's like, if they, if they get Justin Fields, it's like, that's fine. You know, he's, he's a really good prospect. They won't be sad that they have him, but they might find any way that they get to the last year of his contract and he holds out right when they need to get rid of whatever to toxic contracts they have that day. Uh, and they have needs piling up at other positions. So I think it makes sense to go with Hertz to, to weather that one year of cap hell, if nothing else. And then it's like, if they go into next offseason and he had a good year, then all right, we got a good quarterback that's that's fine uh, and if he turns out to be bad then they're like all right well we got a high draft pick and a bunch of cap space coming off the books so whatever exactly so so you know philadelphia you're kind of in this position now where like coming into this off season they they had to kind of pay the piper for a lot of of previous mistakes and the you know all the carson wentz stuff of course but they could just be like a year away from kind of just being reset and kind of yeah. know, out of that cap hell and, and uh, you know, onto onto better days. So I would take Farley if I was them and hope that a Jalen Hurts offense plus an improved defense can get them to the division and uh, just work from there. See, exactly. So so uh, the, the dark ages in Philadelphia might not last nearly as long as, as I was kind of expecting coming into this year. And then, uh, you know, all this talk of Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields in the same sentence takes me back as a Georgia fan to the uh, 2018 <laughs> SEC championship game where Jalen Hurts went ahead and uh, ripped the heart out right out of my chest and Georgia also used Justin Fields on a fake punt attempt okay I'm spiraling um, anywho let's get on to the rest of your team so starting things off what was with, with the scoring format in mind, what was your strategy picking out of the seven spot? Wh which direction did you want to go? Were you dogmatic in in thinking like I am definitely taking a tight end here? If there's one that I like, am I or if there was a certain running back that fell to you, would you have gone that way? Were you absolutely fading receiver? Were you going to thinking think about a quarterback? What was going through your mind at seven? So I've never done a super flex tight end premium draft other than I guess like the Scott Fishbowl was the closest thing to it that, that I'm that I'm aware of 
in my history. So I went into this very much the opposite of dogmatic. Like I went in confused and, and nervous and anxious about pretty much everything. Uh, but especially the quarterback question and, and to a lesser extent, the tight end question, because I knew that because there's only really to me three tight ends who safely stand out. I went in knowing like I might not get one of those guys. There's only three of them. So if I can't get them, that can't possibly be a big deal or everybody who doesn't get one of those three tight ends in a league like this is just doomed from day one. And that seemed kind of like a long shot too. So I didn't worry specifically about tight end, but quarterback I did because uh, as much the, the first pick was Travis Kelsey. So that, that makes enough sense. I think we can see the reasoning there. The next picks were Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Christian McCaffrey. And I think that person might regret taking Christian McCaffrey, then Kyler Murray, then Dalvin cook. I think that guy might regret taking Dalvin cook. So I'm on the board, or I'm on the board, and uh, or I'm on the clock, and on the board we have uh, basically to me I was looking at Lamar Jackson and Darren Waller, okay. and I thought about Lamar, and then I thought further about it. I'm going to get a lot of Lamar shares this year. I can tell that already. I can tell that because people are, we're at that phase uh, in time where the goldfish brains of people are, are leading them to conclude things like Josh Allen is clearly better than Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson's actually a bad passer. If you think about it. And it's like, if you, if you had a, a, a more advanced brain than that of a goldfish, you would remember Lamar Jackson's younger than Josh Allen and won the MVP at 22 or whatever. And, and clearly if you gave, if you gave Lamar Jackson, the offense that Josh Allen has to work with, like that would, that would not even be close. Like Lamar Jackson is clearly the better player. Um, I understand that's not the question in fantasy. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs and Lamar Jackson doesn't. Um, But when the price is that far apart, I know I'm going to hammer Lamar Jackson. I'm going to hammer maybe if Dak has an injury discount, I don't know, stuff like that. But I'm not picking, I'm not paying the 2021 price for Josh Allen when the 2021 price for Lamar Jackson is what it is. And so I knew I was going to get a lot of Lamar shares in in other drafts. What I was less sure of is whether I would ever have another super flex tight end premium draft where I'm at the seven spot and I can take a guy like Waller. I didn't really see that particular scenario happening again. So if only to kind of like balance my exposure ostensibly anyway, I went with Waller there and Waller is my tight end too. I understand that most people have Kittle ranked there. The reason I disagree with them is because I think they're just underrating Waller still. And I think that George Kittle's durability history is actually concerning. And it's not just the past couple of years. It was the thing at Iowa is largely why he fell to the fifth round of his draft. Right. So I took Waller there because if, if that's a hundred catches, that's 150 PPR points. You know, that's as many points as if you have a receiver who catches 150 passes. So I know some people think I reach for Waller. I don't see it that way. I, I think anyone who doubts Waller at this point still doesn't know what to look for. And it's going to be their second year in a row of being confused. So I went there. Lamar, of course, did not make it to my second pick. Uh, I was hoping to get Russell Wilson there. Maybe that was naive. Uh, but Russell Wilson went a few picks earlier. Aaron Rodgers went a couple picks earlier, but I was okay with that because I have Matt Stafford ranked ahead of Aaron Rodgers, and I got Stafford there. Okay, beautiful. So going back to Waller for a second, Waller to me is like the best case scenario for, and this marries up with with the upcoming draft, of course. Uh, You know, if the the absolute ceiling of Kyle Pitts, I think basically is like Darren Waller is already there, and like. He, he's still in the prime of his career. I think people are kind of uh, underrating that. He's just 28, uh, coming off another great season. I mean, I, I just think that the sky continues to be the limit for, for Waller. I think he's got a couple, at least a couple more years of, of truly, like, elite play coming. So, I mean, he, he's a ridiculous uh, size-speed combo. Uh, yeah, I, that's the thing. The people people who, who dislike or who doubt him and doubted him last year, they're like, Oh well, he's he's a sixth round pick, a seventh round pick, or whatever. He's un, he's an undrafted guy. His pedigree is bad. Guys drafted in these rounds and in their cut, they never do well. They just and don't. Like, they're not thinking. Yeah, it's like, well, dude, what round do you think he would go in if he was in the draft today? Mm-hmm. At least answer that question before you decide he is from this round, because he isn't. He wouldn't go in that round if he was in the draft today. And you know, it's like guys who run four fours at two forty five who catch. 190 passes in two years probably should have gone a little higher shouldn't they yeah so uh yeah the, again the goldfish brain uh it, it 
uh, it ends up benefiting you uh, once again, the, the people around you with him. Uh, going to Stafford, uh, so like you said, you got him ranked ahead of Rodgers for this year, so that that seems to imply that you are very bullish on St- on the Stafford-Rams marriage in that McVay offense, so uh, would you care to expound upon that a little bit? Yeah, he's a little bit of, well, he's, he's a significant durability worry. I, I definitely can't run away from that, but if he does play 16 games, I have basically no even slight fears about Stafford being worth this pick. I think Stafford, if he plays 16 games, has a really good shot at being a top eight quarterback. He can't catch up with the running quarterbacks, of course. Uh, but where that that tier where like Drew Brees had been a couple of years ago, where it's like cute quarterback seven or eight or whatever, and you know you're getting no rushing production, but you're getting whatever, 4,800 yards and 35, 40 touchdowns. I absolutely think Stafford can do that. I mean, we're only two years removed from Goff having like 4,600 yards and 35 touchdowns or whatever. So Stafford can absolutely do 5,040 touchdowns in that offense. Anyone who thinks otherwise is just not informed on either of the players or either of the systems of the Lions and the Rams. And, uh, but yeah, with, with that said, the durability is a concern. He's, he's been playing hurt for years now. He's got, I think at two points now he's had transverse process fractures. So, yep. uh, you'd like to see him take fewer hits, but I'm hoping McVeigh can be helpful on that too, because, uh, I mean, Stafford, Stafford had Calvin Johnson earlier in his career. That's true. But still with the lions, the broader, uh, system was not as favorable as it will be with the Rams. That's a good point. And, and, uh, to your point on the, uh, McVay's system may be protecting Stafford as far as the hits are concerned. Jared Goff, just a 4% uh, sack percentage last year. That was among the best in the league uh, among passers with at least 400 attempts. So that, that goes to show you that, uh, you know, this is an offense that definitely it has the, the health interest of the quarterback definitely in mind there. So hopefully, yeah, Stafford stays upright and is able to really take advantage of that system. Looking beyond that, I really liked how you started to, to build your draft from there. So next up, you got Trevor Lawrence. We talked about him uh, last week. This obviously won't be the last time that we talk about him, of course. He's going to be a favorite um, in drafts for us throughout the course of this season and, and beyond. I mean, he's just ridiculous. Uh, getting him in the third, uh, what a steal. I mean, you get him, yeah, after Joe Burrow, that's really nice yeah, you in my can't opinion. guys do not take joe burrow ahead of trevor lawrence i know like people think they're being uh responsible and cautious by saying things like well trevor lawrence is a rookie we don't know for sure whether he's going to be in it mm. just <laughs> understand that this is not a typical quarterback like this is not the, whatever scenario you're comparing him to it doesn't apply this is different this time he's not like other quarterbacks and he's way better than burrow and we know he's well burrow we do not know is playing in week one you know with lawrence uh, at least he would have to get hurt for that to be the case we do not know what's we do not have a single thing that is truly given with burrow no we we really don't that that injury looked pretty uh awful so i mean either way even straight up if you said that both of these guys are playing 16 games this year even though trevor lawrence is playing for the woebegone jacksonville jaguars i still uh am going lawrence 10 times out of 10 just so much more physically gifted Lawrence was my next quarterback on my board after Stafford. So I have him ahead of Tannehill, definitely ahead of Hertz and ahead of Brady too. There we go. So now we, so now you got exposure to uh, front or got the quarterbacks for both the Rams and the Jags. Uh, Next up, uh, this is where that receiver deflation that, that you were alluding to earlier starts to come into play where you, you can uh, go ahead and get a guy like AJ Brown in the fourth round. Yeah, I thought a long time about going running back at this pick, but I decided to go with A.J. Brown because Calvin Ridley had just gone off the board. I have A.J. Brown ranked ahead of him. D.K. Metcalf had gone four or five picks ahead. I think I have Brown ranked about the same. I haven't actually thought it through specifically. I haven't done projections, but I know I think A.J. Brown is the best receiver in the league. And in best ball and two wide receiver, I think he actually is a little bit more viable than in three wide receiver because we know that the Titans are not going to do the air raid. That's obviously not possible. And when they have their choice, they make it pretty much the Derrick Henry show, which can only come at A.J. Brown's expense, really. But when they do let A.J. Brown go free, he puts up huge numbers, like almost invariably when they give him the usage, it just happens. And those games will happen. So he'll have his ceiling weeks, these weeks where 
when he is on, he ranks in the top three and just, you know, it's non-negotiable. If he gets 10 targets, he's in the top three that week. And then when he has his dud weeks, the fact that it's two receivers instead of three means that it should, in theory at least, be easier to not get burned those weeks. It should be easier to have a better option those weeks. Whereas the weeks that A.J. Brown is on, you really can't find anyone in the entire league who's who's definitely better. It's like I would say Devontae Adams is the only one uh, who I – I guess Tyreek is pretty close to. Um, but I think A.J. Brown can basically give me the number of like top three wide receiver scores that I need – uh, while the the inconsistency should prove immaterial, but yeah, I took when I took him the next two receivers to go before my next pick were Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen, who uh, I'd be fine with having them or whatever, but I I definitely prefer AJ Brown's just you know shrieking upside in a best ball format. Definitely, yeah, preaching to the choir when it when it comes to AJ Brown, of course, uh, just an absolute stud. Um, then you know again with with this format, these positions. It's a lot different. The way that you construct your roster a lot different than, than what you would in, in a normal one quarterback league and in a non uh, tight end premium. So this is where you've got your first running back. And I think this was an awesome value. You went with James Robinson, of course, the second year player um, in Jacksonville. Had such a good rookie year. Now is in an offense that theoretically should be like so much more healthy and should be, you know, I'm, I'm borrowing from from your analysis last week, but this is an offense that's going to be scoring a lot more touchdowns this time around. And, and you know, with that, you figure that Robinson's touchdown count probably going to come up as well. Yeah, hopefully. And I forgot to mention the, part of the reason why I took A.J. Brown rather than a running back at the last pick was because guys like Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, and Robinson, and Claude Edwards-Hilaire, I considered him too, they were all on the board, and I thought, you know, I don't see enough difference between these six guys. I do see a quick difference between, uh, like, I actually personally see a difference between A.J. Brown and Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen, but if not those two, then there's a huge gap, in my opinion, between uh, A.J. Brown and someone like, Maybe not huge between Allen Robinson. If he goes to a dream team for him, he could obviously be like the wide receiver one. Um, but Julio Jones is like the fourth re- receiver taken after AJ Brown. And I, I know I said I loved him last week, but I start I'm like more convinced that they're going to uh, go away from Matt Ryan at some point this year, which yep. is a little concerning. Uh, but uh, basically, I was like, I don't really care which of these six running backs I get, but I do start to care about the receivers after three or four. So I went with that, and I was totally happy to get James Robinson. Uh, I, w- I was probably thinking Mixon, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I, it's hard to know for sure because uh, I didn't have the option. He went the pick earlier. But when I got to the second round, when I got to that fifth round and I saw James Robinson was still there, I went with him over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because – Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a good player. I think he, if anything, is kind of underrated on a personal level. Like as as a as an individual player, he's underrated. Like you'd, you'd think he, he had wasn't 500. the number three overall player this year. He must suck, right? Because some people were dumb enough to say that he should go in the top three in redraft. Now he's bad for only being like the running back seventeen or whatever, and uh, in twelve games, moreover, you know, as so a rookie. He, yeah, he, he. it felt like he had 500 yards last year, and he actually had like 1,000 in 13 or 12 games or whatever it was. So he'll be fine. But Damian Williams is faster than him and 15 pounds heavier than him, and is, we already know he can produce in that offense. So whereas James Robinson might face competition that he didn't face last year, it is definitely the case that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will face competition that he didn't last year. And Damian Williams might point blank be better in that offense than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is. And I think I say that as an Edwards-Hilaire advocate, like I think he's a good player. I thought he was a justifiable pick in the first round last year, but Damian Williams is a system player who perfectly fits their system. And it's not easy to find people who do what James Robinson did last year. I know people think like, Oh, he was, they just were tanking. It's like they weren't tanking. They could have tanked by not cutting Leonard Fournette and letting him walk as a free agent, thus getting a compensatory draft pick for him leaving. They wanted James Robinson on the field, and he did really good the entire year. And if anything, at this point, the Jaguars have a have an incentive to run him into the ground on a super cheap contract so that if he turns out to be a dud, he can walk in free agency too in a couple of years. But in the meantime, it's like they got they got a guy on what, like the 55th highest contract at running back and they can get, uh, you know, 800 snaps out of him. That's a, that's a no brainer. They're going to spend that if 
if they have any shot of being a good team with all this uh, this resources that they've been given, they will not spend money and they will not spend any sooner than maybe a third round pick at running back. And if they do, that player is not likely to be particularly close to James Robinson. That's a, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, his talent. I mean, it's crazy that he went undrafted. I, I think that again, all the craziness of last off season when the pandemic was really hitting it really squeezed out those fcs players and led to i think like a record low fcs uh representation in the draft and you know we, we saw some contributors uh come from those ranks and of course robinson chief among them um coming up next so you got Sam Darnold as your as your depth quarterback, and then uh, some of your your stacking best ball theory uh, came into practice here, where you got uh, some of the weapons for both Matthew Stafford and Trevor Lawrence, and going after Robert Woods and both DJ Chark. Is that is that something that you were absolutely trying to do? Yeah, I was trying to get Woods and Chark. I was considering going Robert Woods and uh, Cooper Cup, but Cooper Cup got taken the pick before me, and I was totally happy to take DJ Chark. I was. I was going to be anxious about that decision because it, it's an easy one to get wrong. It feels like uh, I think DJ Chark is very clearly one of the best receivers in the league. And I think people have lost perspective on how good he is. And they're not considering the upside he would have if he went from one of the worst offenses in the league to an average or better one. He doesn't need to be in a specifically good offense, although I think Jacksonville will be closer to good than bad. But he just he could break out hugely with just an average or something close to average offense. Like we know that already because he did that in 2019 and that offense wasn't great or anything. It still had Gardner Minshew at quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is going to change so much about that offense in ways that can't really be quantified. And people who, who don't understand like the, the, the more kind of like technical physics of football won't be able to anticipate this. But it's going to be a total paradigm change. Like, it's going to absolutely change everything having Lawrence there. And DJ Chark, I think, could have, like, he's had some injury concerns. So that's that's something that I have some issue with with him. But he could have something like a 1,400-yard season. And if not that, then at the very least, I can also say people who are ranking LaVisca Chenault ahead of Chark are wrong. Like, you shouldn't do that. And it's it's like I like LaVisca Chenault, but he objectively cannot do as much as Chark. Chark is the wide receiver one on that team. There's no question about it. Right. And Chenault is great at at what he does, but he's not that vertical field stretcher um, the the way that Chark is, of course, that that plays on the outside. And and Chark plays at all levels of the field and Chenault can only play two. Yep. So, I mean, while Chenault is, you know, that that guy that that kind of has the that running back playing receiver he's like a big slot tight end kind of thing yeah it's it's, he's good at it it's just like one of those things like if you're not if if you're not getting you know these 40 yard someone's getting 40 yard bombs in this trevor lawrence offense and it's not chenault no, no, that that will be Chark. Uh, maybe Chenault can be the the Amari Rogers if you wanted to. Maybe they the signed country. Curtis Samuel and he's in on it, but it's not Ooh. Chenault. Ooh, Curtis Samuel, that Urban Meyer connection. They got a lot of money and not much to obviously spend it on. So I think Curtis to Curtis to Jacksonville makes a lot of sense. What would that do for you as far as your your Curtis evaluation and and kind of exposure? It would be like a little tiny bit of a concern for Chark, but it would not be not a meaningful one. It would be like. Whereas right now, I think Chark could be a league winner type who gives you like 1,400, 1,500 yards. If Curtis is there, his cap is probably 1,400 and his his realistic range is like 1,200, maybe 1,300, which is still fine. Um, But yeah, Curtis Samuel is really good. And I think he's actually somewhat miscast as a slot receiver last year. The results were really good because Joe Brady designed a good Carolina offense that got good results from all of Curtis and Anderson and more. But those guys were playing in the wrong positions. And because Chenault is is slower, kind of does H-back stuff, I think he would take a lot of those slot reps from Samuel that would have been, you know, where he ran in Carolina. Um, but it would be good, I think, to get Curtis Samuel outside more because he was getting open all the time in 2019 on the outside running deep routes. But Kyle Allen just missed because he sucks. And then the, this next year they were like, we got to get the ball in Curtis's hands. And it's like, that's fine, but – don't put one of the best outside downfield route runners who incidentally is one of the fastest receivers in the league. Don't put him in the same position as Danny Amendola. Right. Yeah. That, that just feels like a, a bit of a no brainer in, in that sense. And then um, rounding it out 
Uh, you went after uh, Chase Edmonds next. Odell Beckham is a nice value in round 10. Austin Hooper as your backup uh, tight end. Tony Pollard. Um, and then Cam Newton, uh, Harrison Butker, Anthony McFarlane. So um, walk us through a little bit of your just kind of end game strategy or mid to mid round to end game strategy there. Yeah, I was kind of doing like not exactly zero RB, but pretty light running back because um, some of these prices just look wrong to me, especially when so many of these high prices are guys that we do not know where they're going to play in 2021. Like I'm not taking Chris Carson in the seventh. I'm not taking like Javante Williams went in the sixth round. I'm not I'm not taking Javante Williams uh, eight picks after James Robinson. You know, this is, this is getting out of hand. Some of these prices you get you see people like trying to chase running back value, but they don't know how to identify it. And they're just they're coming up with these weird you know, pricing decisions. So I was kind of, I just kind of decided like, I'm going to let them chase those. And in the case of Edmonds, I was, I knew I was kind of reaching a little bit and I really didn't want to pick him over Odell Beckham. Like I I wanted to take Odell Beckham in the ninth round. I, I almost took Beckham in the eighth over Chark. And so like I got to the ninth and I was like, oh man, I, I got to take Odell right now. But then, you know, Kenny, Gain, Kenny Gainwell, uh, who I like a lot more in the ninth than I do Javante Williams in the early sixth. Uh, but I still don't like Kenny Gainwell in the ninth either. If I can take chase Edmonds, cause I know where chase Edmonds is going to play, or at least I'm pretty sure. And there's a chance that they don't resign Kenyon Drake, in which case whoever they might add in free agency or the draft is less likely or is likely to take less of a share than Kenyon Drake. So went with Edmonds and, and basically my, my formula running back from this point is acknowledging that I am a long shot at the position and that I need to just kind of, get some sh- I need to short the stock of some of the big running backs who are otherwise around the league and so maybe I should have took Alex Madison instead of Harrison Butker but a kicker you got to get kicker in this league and in kicker too it's like we don't know who half of these guys are playing for next year we don't know if they're playing for anyone next year so I kind of reached for Butker because I was like I don't want to get stuck trying to guess who's gonna kick for the stupid you know, Texans this year or something like that sure. and just get, get a zero at kicker all year. Cause I guessed wrong mm-hmm. trying to be cheap. Um, but I'm getting uh, like, I got Tony Pollard to short Zeke Elliott. I probably, I maybe should have took Alex Madison to short Dalvin cook instead of taking Harrison Butker, but Oh, well, uh, I took Anthony McFarland, not so much to short anyone. That one was more like there's an off chance that he actually kind of starts this year for Pittsburgh, for Matt Canada taking over there. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at, that Maryland looking at running connection. Action. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, yeah, I'm looking at try, probably looking at uh, Damian Williams if he makes it to me in the next round. I, I I almost took Damian instead of McFarland, but yeah, it's like at running back, I'm 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 obviously at the point where I need to get somebody who, in the event of an injury on that on their team ahead of them, they give me the upside that I otherwise haven't paid for at running back. Okay, I see. So good stuff there. Yeah, as far as playing out that that running back uh, strategy. Um, who is the GameStop stock of running backs for, for right <laughs> now? Um, Who's getting pumped that shouldn't be? Let's see. Which running back do I hope gets so valuable it crashes this illegitimate hell uh, economy that I hate so much? Um, I don't see anyone who can pull it off. But if I'm looking at just like the, the numbers that I don't like at running back, um, it, I think uh, I don't I – don't, I don't know. I, see, I understand what some of these people are thinking about. Like Austin Eckler is too cheap. I, that's the thing that I looking at this, like he should not go in the third round. He should not go a pick within cam Akers. Uh, Akers is fine. That Rams offense is going to be really good, but Eckler can do Marshall Falk stuff this year. He already did it two years ago. He kind of did it when he was playing last year. So uh, he's going too low. And then the ones that are going too high, I guess I think are Najee Harris and Javante Williams because people don't know how to scout rookies. They, they don't know how to do anything other than look at pre-draft media look at, you know, click to send on what round they're projected for and then plug in that round to some formula where it's like, oh, they're, they're 5'10", 220, and they're projecting in the first round. That means they're the same as Nick Chubb, and that means Javante Williams is Nick Chubb. It's like Javante Williams to me looks like ACC Samaj Ryan. And uh, that I still like Samaj Piran slash. I think he could have been better if he weighed 225 instead of 240. Um, but the point is, that guy doesn't run away from people. And when he breaks tackles, he does it very sluggishly. And it's kind of almost a David Montgomery thing where some of the tackles that he breaks are tackles that get brought upon him because he's not running away fast enough. So I think he's like people, people don't know how to scout running backs. And I think he's clearly a case of it. And then Harris too. 
like I think he's a decent player. I'm much more sold on Harris than I am Williams. And I like Williams enough if people are being reasonable, but they're supposing he's yeah, going to be crazy. like a first round pick. And it's like, you guys got to stop listening to people on the internet. You got to like, you got to learn how to actually read this for yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I see tweets every morning. That's like, a, I'm brave enough to rank Javante Williams as my RB one. It's like, all right, man. Well, Gonna go ahead and uh, hit that mute. Yeah, button uh, like Travis Etienne could have run for like 500 yards against that Miami defense if Clemson wanted him to. Like, look at the schedule. Like, I actually am close to ranking Michael Carter ahead of Javante Williams because he at least had multiple years of big production. That that ACC schedule for North Carolina this year was utter trash. Like you cannot be taking him in the sixth round, and you can't be taking him at like two full rounds ahead ahead of AJ Dillon, two whole rounds ahead of Ronald Jones. It's like I, it's it's too much. Yep, I I completely agree. And and yeah, that 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 UNC schedule of, of defenses that they were going against, very very soft. Let's can wrap it up for this edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com